Welcome to Dunzo. This is a podcast that explores hookups and breakups of famous lovers and friends, both real and fake, and all the discarded pop culture of yesteryear. I'm your host, Troy McKeady. Okay, you guys, welcome to another episode of Dunzo. Um, I haven't done this in a long time. It's been, I think, at least a month or two since I've done an album review episode. And I am so, so, so excited for today's episode and for today's guest. We've been wanting to get together for a while and it's finally happening. And it just feels like, it feels like it was meant to happen at this moment. Kelly from Laguna Biatch is here. How are you? Good, how are you? Thank you so much for having me. Oh my God, it's an honor and a privilege. We've like been trying to like figure something to talk about. It's almost like we have so many interests in common that it's actually, it's like a hindrance almost. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And I have to say your podcast name is so brilliant. When you did the rebrand, I was like, motherfucker, I should have taken that. <laughs> I mean, obviously I thought about you. I was like, I almost feel like I should ask permission to use the word. No, I love it. I love it so much. But when I saw it, I was like, damn it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you. Um, Well, yeah, if you guys don't know, so Kelly is, I mean, I would say that you're like the premier Laguna. You're the premier former Laguna. You just rebranded too. But like, you're like the premier The Hills Laguna podcast. Like if people want that content, you're sort of where they think to go, I would think. Yeah, yeah, I would say, I, I would say the same thing. And then what was behind, I mean, I listened to your episode, but just to kind of give, like, what was behind your sort of rebrand? You know, I think it just got to the point where I started reusing content and I just wasn't feeling as inspired. And I can't lie, like the Laguna reunion, that actually, you know, that I was a little salty about it. And I I love every kind of pop culture. And I really just wanted to explore that more. Trust me, I get it. <laughs> I had the exact same, <laughs> exact same thought. Um, but it's cool because then it's like you get to, like you've established enough that like people know that you're like a safe space for Laguna and the Hill stuff. But you also, yeah, like you are such like a pop culture person. Like you're just, I, I'm obsessed with you. <laughs> Thank you so much. <laughs> I love your podcast too. I'm just, we can fangirl all night. Like I love your podcast. Thank you. Um, I figured you were like the perfect guest for this. I've been doing spooky stuff and I just did a whole Whitney and Bobby thing for like a month. And I want to just do like some fun things right now. Just fun, sort of lighthearted, like car, I'm almost like carb loaded things. And the early 2000s feels very carb loaded to me. It's just very gluttonous and heavy. And I really, really wanted to talk about the Backstreet Boys today. And we're going to be talking specifically about the Millennium album. And I just learned that the Backstreet Boys is like, you're, that you stand. They're my jam. They have been since like second or third grade. I can remember when this album came out. It was like my first concert. So I'm excited and I've, I'm ready. Well, let's just like get into it. So how, how were you introduced to the Backstreet Boys, if you can remember? And like, what made you choose them? You know, I can't really remember. I think my mom was dating a guy and he had a daughter who was a few years older than me. 
So mm-hmm. she kind of introduced me to them. And I grew up with an older brother. So at the time, all I listened to was like Green Day. Okay. And I was like, oh my God, what is this music? <laughs> and yeah. I was so into it. And I was just hooked right away. Right when I heard like Quit Playing Games With My Heart, I was like, what is this beautiful harmony by these four 20-year-old men? Or five, I'm sorry, five 20-year-old men. You're like, what are my hips doing? I know. I'm like, what is this? What am I feeling? <laughs> did you have like, um, when NSYNC was introduced, did you have that sort of, were you like a part of the Backstreet Boys tribe or were you like somebody who like sort of dabbled in everything? No, I was ready to fist fight people who did not like Backstreet Good. Boys. Good. That's exactly the energy that I want today. <laughs> Good. That's ex- I was like hoping that that would be your answer. I was hoping that you wouldn't say the, the, the former. Oh um, God, no. <laughs> so were you like a secret okay because I was like a I was a secret listener like I would secretly listen to Christina and I would secretly listen to all the other girls like did you secretly listen to NSYNC I honestly didn't like I am loyal to a fault and I have been my whole life and like I said the fact that I was ready to like lose friendships in third grade over Backstreet Boys or NSYNC says a lot about me I think no, it's I well, says you're iconic. It shows clear signs of iconic behavior. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, that's actually perfect because I have a whole section of my notes just based on the tribes and like the, I don't know. I, I'm obsessed with the tribes. That's what I call them, um, and just sort of the marketing behind them. I think is so interesting. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, Millennium is um, Millennium was a cultural reset. I know that that's like a phrase that's being like very loosely used right now, but. It really was. I feel like this album was immediately became sort of like a like a, a cornerstone of pop music. Like when you think of the early 2000s, this is obviously one of the albums you think of. But I think even more importantly, when you think of boy bands, this album is like this album defines what it means to be a boy band and have like a crazy perfect boy band era where you're taking over the world. Absolutely. From the songs to the music videos, everything. It's so iconic. It's so, it's almost like, like I would say I Want It That Way is almost so iconic that it's now reached that point of, it's almost like a baby one more time thing where it's like, there's nothing that you can say about it that hasn't been said, but it deserves to be said every time, kind of. Yeah, yeah, I would agree with that. I remember, and do you remember when VH1 used to do those countdowns, like, best songs of the 2000s, best songs of the 90s, whatever. Oh, totally, yeah. I Want It That Way was one or number one or number two. And I was like, that's right. You put respect on that. (laughs) I know. I I mean, like, listen, as somebody who like lives in the early 2000s constantly in my mind, like I'm always trying. My goal with this podcast, honestly, is just to make people understand that just because something was presented to you as cheesy or stupid or vapid or something that you shouldn't take seriously it doesn't mean that it's not it doesn't mean that it's not important you know what I mean it doesn't mean that it should only be made fun of and this album I think is such a clear representation of that like it's such like a a meme now like I want it that way is such a meme and such like absolutely I, I agree it's okay to like things that people make fun of totally Totally. And you shouldn't make fun of the, this album. I'm just putting that up there too. <laughs> <laughs> like holding a Backstreet Boys like TRL sign as we speak. I 
No, I'm wearing all my Backstreet Boys merch right now. (laughs) (laughs) I also think it's interesting because I think for them, this album represents this time where, you know, they really had to sort of prove themselves that they weren't this like, you know, flash in the pan, you know, pop band and that, you know, their, you know, their previous albums had done pretty well, but they also had no money. So they didn't really have anything to show for it. So it's like, they sort of had everything working against them. And the fact that this album was so successful, I think is actually pretty crazy given their circumstance. I mean, they were in some some crazy shit during that time with uh, Lou Perlman. Yeah, absolutely. And they have this awesome documentary called Show Them What You're Made Of. I don't know if you've seen it, but Kevin said he was like, you know, the first time we were on TV in the United States, we're dancing around in rain with our shirts open. He's like, that's not what we wanted. Yeah. It's sad. Yeah, it is. It's sad. I mean, it's it's sad and it's weird. And it's like, it makes you feel like, you know, you look back. I've had to grapple with this and I've talked about it a million times. It's always getting getting brought up on this podcast. But like, it's it's weird to grapple with the fact that our pop music during that time and the images that we saw and the way that it was presented to us was all through the eyes of this like Spengully monster pedophile fucking just abusive creep like all of it was through his perspective and that is really weird yeah it's really weird to look back and I said on another podcast I was like seven or eight when I started really loving Backstreet Boys and I was so in love with Brian Luttrell who was like 24 right and I don't know it's just weird because I think of boy bands I guess the one I think of is like One Direction they were like 15 16 like that's a little bit more appropriate totally totally yeah and you're I mean you're a kid watching these guys like you said like thrust their hips around in water and like I don't know I feel like it was just you know you look at what kids are into now and now there's like no limits there's no boundaries like kids are totally sexualized super young but I feel Mm -hmm. like when we were younger like our generation was the first sort of like kick in the door with that like we were having these really sexual images presented to us and sort of shoved on our throats in a way that we maybe didn't understand but it was changing us you know what I mean like it was changing our brains and like changing who we were going to become and it obviously had a really long lasting impact because so much of the pop that you see now is still so influenced by that. And the way that the girls sort of like start off really innocent and young and they may be working with Disney or whoever, and then they have their like Miley Cyrus can't be tamed moment. And then mm-hmm. it's just expected that they have like a sex album now. Yeah, I guess I've never thought of that until this very moment. And I'm like, oh, mm. but they do need, they do feel like they need to break out of that cookie cutter um persona that they have yeah they have to have their slave for you moment or like their stripped moment where they're like like I've had sex before <laughs> you know what I mean and, and like I want everybody to know <laughs> yeah and it's yeah you're absolutely right and I've talked about that with Brittany a lot I just like she's 16 or 17 on the cover of Rolling Stones wearing a silky 
pajama set, but she has like Tinky Winky and Poe next to her I to know. remind you that she's young. And it makes me so grossed out. I know. It's so, it's so, ugh. It's, such, it's like so weird to have to grapple with because it's so prominent in our culture. Like it's such a big deal. It's like massive pop culture moment. But then you look back at it and you're like, whoa. Like what adults, I, it makes me feel old. Cause then I'm like, oh my God, I understand why people's parents were freaking out. Like now I get it. Ugh. Exactly. I hate that. Uh, <laughs> I guess I should do some, uh, some housekeeping and just kind of give some, some quick little statistics about this album. It debuted yes. at number one on the Billboard 200 and it stayed there for 10 weeks and it sold over a million copies in its first week. It broke at the time, I think it was Garth Brooks's record, um, which would eventually be broken in the year 2000 by NSYNC with No Strings Attached. This is the fifth best-selling album in the United States in, in US history. It went 13 times platinum and I Want It That Way was rated by Billboard as the best boy band song in history. And it's just, it's just so crazy to think that we lived during this time, this like, magical time that we didn't know was magic we didn't know yeah it was all so simple I love bubblegum pop it just makes me so happy and brings me to my happy place mm. and I think that's why I have loved Backstreet Boys for so long it's the nostalgia I mean I made a, a Laguna Beach page obviously I love nostalgia but right. I think that's why Backstreet Boys Backstreet Boys is like a safe place for me totally yeah, they're like it's like um it's like going back to a place in your mind where you didn't have like worries or cares or bills or thoughts outside of just violently defending your favorite pop star. I mean, truly, <laughs> that was your I job. Wanted. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> my job was to like learn what nine times nine was and defend the Backstreet Boys. <laughs> like as much effort as we put into podcasting is like the hustle that we had for like going out and really making it known like no guys this 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 person is the ticket I'm telling you exactly I got a whole bunch of reasons why if you have if you have 20 minutes to just sit with me and talk um <laughs> that's so funny <laughs> I also wanted to talk to you so I wanted to kind of open up things by talking about obviously you know this specific time period like the pop explosion of the late 90s mm-hmm. was the last of the classic old school record industry, right? Like our pop music during this time was the last time that the record industry was able to convince people to go out and buy $20 CDs and $15 single cassettes that had two songs on them. And we would fucking, oh my God, spend millions and millions of dollars in, you know, a weekend on one CD and you had, and then Napster happened. So like Millennium and Oops, I Did It Again and No Strings Attached. I wrote in my notes that they were the last of the Elm Street children. (laughs) 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 But it's true. Those are the last like record industry albums, I guess you could say. Yeah. Yeah. I would agree with that. Were you a big like Napster girl? Were you like downloading music? I was a big LimeWire. Yes. Um, Napster, I actually didn't even really have like a computer until freshman year of high school. So I didn't have any of that. (laughs) Yeah, I was definitely not a Napster person. Napster was like, 
I don't know. Napster was like a couple years older than me, I think. I think I was too young right when Napster came out. But then, yeah, when like LimeWire and Kazaa happened, that was more my gig. Yeah. LimeWire and FrostWire. I would always go between them because oh, my mom Frost would see Lime. Yeah, she'd see LimeWire on the desktop and get so mad. And then I'm like, oh, she doesn't know what FrostWire is. So. Oh my God. Wait, was FrostWire the one that had, it was like, the same logo, but it had ice and snow all over it. Yeah, and it was supposed to be safer. I mean, I don't know if that's true, but. Oh my God. There was like no better feeling than when you would type the album into uh, into whatever, and it just like popped up the perfect like HD, like, you know, HD MP3, perfect download, every track ready to go, like the, the greatest feeling. It's the best and what's really funny. So I don't I don't know how you feel about Taylor Swift, but I love her. And like my first Taylor Swift song was downloaded from LimeWire. <laughs> Iconic. Iconic. <laughs> I was thinking about this. I think I've said it before, but um, me and my friend the other day were talking about how weird it is. Like, okay, so I look when I look at my phone and I'm like scrolling through my music because I've been using iTunes my whole life, like I would take my music from LimeWire and then put it on iTunes and then Mm -hmm. put it on like my iPod or whatever. The files on my phone are most, a lot of them are from, you know, 15 years ago and they are from LimeWire. I love that. I love that so much. (laughs) I'm like, when I'm looking through my phone and I'm like, oh my God, I haven't listened to this song in literally 10 years. Like, I'm like, fuck, I probably downloaded this on LimeWire and it's just traveled with (laughs) me through all my journeys. (laughs) All your journeys. (laughs) Um, But yeah, it's just interesting. Like, we are sort of the last generation to know what it felt like to go out in mass in mass quantities and buy an album and then we watched it go away and I remember as a kid like it was so like innovative and so like it just felt so freeing to be like I can download anything I fucking want I would download music all day because I couldn't I could just do it for free yeah for sure and going back to you know buying albums and everything and buying cds it's like sometimes we bought them only knowing one song (laughs) Mm. which is absolutely insane and i remember when fye put in the things you could scan and listen to 30 seconds of every song yes yes and i thought that was the coolest thing oh my god amazing when you would go in there and put the big giant headphones on yeah yes (laughs) those filthy headphones those disgusting headphones god (laughs) I used to do that all the time at Borders I would go in it was either Borders or Barnes and Noble where you could listen to like a full song and I thought that that was just the chicest most innovative technology I had ever heard and (laughs) we would go in there with absolutely not a penny to our names not a dime to save our lives and just listen to the like the boy is mine over and over and over and over and over but that was your job (laughs) it was a side hustle yeah (laughs) um I also wrote down on my notes I thought it was funny I had completely forgotten um we have to discuss the fact that a huge portion of the success of this album was thanks to the fact that the label forced Britney to add three sneak peek Backstreet Boys songs on her album and she said no because she was like what the fuck I want to put Backstreet Boys 
like, what? No. And they're like, no, you have to, sweetie. So her album just had Backstreet Boys songs on it and her being like, hey, y'all, it's me, Britney. I want to introduce y'all to some friends of mine's. Like, and then there's just three random Millennium songs on the album before Millennium had come out. So people went crazy. I guess I didn't even realize that. That's insane. Because again, I was a fan of like their first album. So they already had me hooked. Right. But that's crazy. <laughs> like I didn't need the sneak peek. I was already going to buy the album anyway. Exactly. I was already going to buy it four times because I'd scratch it. <laughs> overplay it so much that it stops working exactly yeah they uh they forced the label to put three I think they put the three singles I want to say I'm sure somebody will correct me but I'm pretty sure they put the three singles on her album before Millennium had come out so people went out and bought her album so they had this weird connection with each other and I mean they were a big portion of why her album did well too which is crazy Wow, that's nuts. I know. Um, Now, I want to get into the tribes. I think, and more specifically, I want to talk about TRL. Yes. Because this this album, TRL, I mean, this album wouldn't have been, all of those albums wouldn't have done well without TRL, right? Yeah, Backstreet Boys shut down Times Square. That was the first time they, like, at TRL, when people get too crazy outside, they'd put the blackout curtains. And that was one of the first times they had to do that. So were you like, were you a person who would come home every day and like immediately turn on TRL? Did you have that experience? Yep. Yep. That was me. Did you call in to vote? <laughs> um, I didn't because my mom told me it would cost a lot of money. And <laughs> again, we didn't have a computer until I was a freshman. So like money wasn't something we had a lot of. And I was like, I can't do it. I can't do it to her. <laughs> <laughs> like, you're like I have faith that the girls will come through and they'll still be number one on the countdown this this Wednesday but, anyway yeah like believe me there were times where I'd see NSYNC creeping up and I'm looking at our landline I'm like I could eat I could do it I could call <laughs> <laughs> nobody will know um, right so <laughs> you get a phone bill <laughs> like TRL $14 every like t- like three seconds from you calling <laughs> um I never, so as a kid who grew up like watching TRL, I Mm -hmm. just sort of assumed that it was every kid's experience. And a few months ago, I was talking to my friend Wes Martin about, um, we were talking about Lindsay Lohan's music career. And Russ told me that he didn't know that Lindsay had a successful music career, like as successful as it was. And I was like, well, yeah, like she had like an album that did really well and she toured. I mean, she didn't tour, but she did live performances on TV all the time. And she performed on the Today Show. And, you know, she had like songs. I mean, she was a Disney kid and then she had albums out or whatever. And Mm -hmm. we realized the disconnect was because he's from Canada. And Canada didn't air TRO. Oh. So there's this whole, and it blew my mind. I was like, holy shit, Russ. It makes me feel cold that you just said that. Like my whole body just went into like a, like I'm like freezing now all of a sudden. What are you telling me? So you didn't go <laughs> watching TRL. That's that's really interesting. 
I don't, I could never understand that because like I said, I mean, I think they moved it to like 5.30 at one point, which was perfect because I did after school mm-hmm. program to like 5.15 when my mom got me after work and I would run up those steps and be like, MTV now. Yes, absolutely. You run in, you throw your backpack, you like grab some food and you watch the countdown. Like that was just, that was just the American experience, especially later on when TRL became like, I mean, they would have, you know, Britney Spears hosting with Limp Biscuit, and then later Ludacris is going to come out and, you know, Diddy's going to run on the treadmill while the St. Lunatics shoot fucking water guns at people. Like when it became all encompassing and any kind of music that you liked at that yeah. time was being catered to on TRL, it was like there was no child in America who was not at 530 eating fucking pizza bagels and watching that show. I agree with you. I agree 100%. I can vividly remember the cast of One Tree Hill being on it, and I was so excited. Oh, my God. Just the And they don't have anything like that anymore. Not at all. Because I guess social media takes that away, but... Yeah, and then when they tried to bring TRL back, it was, like, terrible, because then they just tried to make it, like, so, like you said, like, social media-y. Like, we're just going to have viral TikTok stars on all the time and nobody cared. Right, right. But, like, TRL would have, like, award shows just for TRL. Yeah. And then, remember, people would come to, like, retire a video if it was on for a certain amount of time. Oh, for sure. TRL was a big deal. Oh, it was so sad when a video you loved would get retired and it was, like, yeah. oh, my God, that was, oh, God, um, but yeah, TRL was interesting because it it launched in 1998 and then Millennium came out in 1999. And it's crazy because it's like the show was making these pop acts like way more famous, but then the pop acts were making the show more famous. So they really, I mean, TRL was, I guess the difference in a nutshell is that at that time, TRL was the music industry. Mm-hmm. Like, there was the industry, but then there was like the TRL industry. There were the, the, all of the most popular artists at the time were people who were catered to on TRL. So you had them kind of working together and Millennium definitely would not have done what it, I mean, none of those albums would have been as successful as they were had they not premiered. I mean, the fact that these artists would go on TRL to premiere the album, you know what I mean? They didn't go to like, to uh whatever like music store or whatever they went to trl because that's that was the most important thing exactly and sometimes they wouldn't even perform they'd just be like this is the song i'm out yeah (laughs) exactly (laughs) (laughs) Uh, i'm gonna sign my name next to like a picture of angelina jolie and then get the fuck out of here yeah they're like let me go in that photo booth let me sign the wall i'm out of here yeah and it just it felt like a place where the fans knew that they could like very safely congregate like in the way that I think like Twitter like in like Stan Twitter like if you have like an Ariana Grande Stan Twitter you know that there's a bunch of other Stan Twitters that exist and that like you can have like this like world with on the internet Mm -hmm. I feel like TRL was that like it was a safe place where teenagers could like live in their fandom and it was cool and it was supported and whether you were doing it from like Times Square or from your living room, like you, you could felt, just- Yeah, you felt included in it. 
Yeah, you were like a really a part of it. Like you said, like you were a part of their fame and their success and how well they were doing. And, you know, like it was because of you. It really made you feel like that. Like, wow, God, I'm so, Brittany's so lucky to have me. God damn it. Yeah, that's, that's so true. It's funny. In sixth grade, I went to New York City and I got to stand, like my dad and brother had no, they did not really want to go see the MTV studios, but I got to stand <laughs> in the crowd at TRL and it was like one of the best moments of my life. Oh my God, are you kidding? Who was, was, wait, was, who was there? It was like P. Diddy and that's all I remember is P. Diddy and Damien Fahey like waving to me or oh. waving to the crowd, not to me. <laughs> Oh, I used to have a crush on Damien. Oh. I think we all did, right? We did, right? But but yeah, you're so right. I feel like that is where Stan, Stan, what is it? Stan, I don't know what it's called, whatever. That's it's where Stan it culture. Stan culture, thank you. I could not think of the word culture. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally. Like TRL was basically Stan Twitter in a nutshell. Mm-hmm. All of those kids you, that were there. It would be like the one by Backstreet Boys would be playing. And then there'd be that girl who's like, I love Nick Carter. I would divorce my husband for him. And I love him so much. Yeah. <laughs> those were the so happy best. To be here. There, there was one kid rock song that was so slow. And it was like so different from everything he's ever done. I cannot remember it. But I will never forget this girl was like, I love this song because he's a badass with a nice heart. <laughs> so stupid. When I was reading, when I was doing notes for Backstreet Boys, I was, um, they were showing all these tarot clips and there was one of them on the show. I think it was when they premiered the album, I want to say, like on New Year's or something. Mm-hmm. And um, AJ is like, literally wearing a leopard print cowboy hat yes do you know what I'm talking about yes I do and he's like I just want to say he goes I just want to say that I'm loving all the punk rock bands right now I'm loving the punk movement <laughs> he's like I'm loving uh Limp Biscuit and <laughs> what did he say in like Lincoln Park I'm loving the punk and he like gave punk like rock hands to the camera I was like oh my god no. oh God, AJ. <laughs> it was also, I feel like it was more fun to be a TRL fan. I think about this all the time. I always wonder what it was like, and you can relate. So like, through my perspective, it's like, as a Britney stan, I always think of what it would have been like to be like a Mandy Moore stan or like a vitamin C stan or something and be like, <laughs> God damn it. I just want my girl to do well. Like, can she please get on the countdown? Like, what does it feel like to be an obsessive fan of Samantha Mumba. You know what I mean? Or like, <laughs> in your case, like, if you're like a B.B. Mac head, they're like, B.B. Mac is the only band I love. They touch me. They make me feel things. I love B.B. Mac. What does it feel? Like, you know, it's like TRL in that whole era was more fun if you fall into the category of being a stan of one of the popular groups. Yeah, yeah, for sure. That's so true, because I remember when, like, NSYNC started to get more popular than the Backstreet Boys, I was like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> Did you ever come around to NSYNC? I was way older, like, embarrassingly older, when I was like, okay, pop is not a bad song, Bye 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 is not bad, yeah. but I never listened to a full NSYNC song, or a full NSYNC album, I'm sorry, and I'm 29 years old. That's iconic. 
<laughs> like that's like straight up I am a real fucking fan yeah I mean I can respect NSYNC fans now that I'm much older and I can say like like makes me ill is a good deep cut yeah. but I have never heard another deep cut so I don't know <laughs> I think the only so I was I liked both and when it came to the boy bands to be honest I didn't have like a I didn't have a dog in the fight like I was just excited to see any man dancing in water really you know what I mean yeah. <laughs> like I was like whatever I like all the all the hits um <laughs> but I think I think I said on the podcast before that I liked NSYNC because they were like tacky like NSYNC was tacky they wore cow print like hmm. one of them had white brandy braids <laughs> you know they were like wet they were like euro trash yeah and this is how I think about it I know we haven't gotten too deep into like millennium or anything but when I compare Backstreet Boys and NSYNC I think Backstreet Boys they have a harmony they can Mm -hmm. sing their asses Mm -hmm. off whereas NSYNC will dance and Mm -hmm. entertain you Mm -hmm. so that's kind of how I've always felt and I've always been you know very mature so obviously I'm gonna go with the harmonizers (laughs) No, I I 100% agree with you. I think NSYNC was always more of a, like, I don't know how to describe it. Like, not to say that they were, like, less than, but they were more entertainers. Like, they mm-hmm. were just more, like, like you said, they they were, like, a real pop act. Whereas the Backstreet Boys were rooted in, like, boys to men crooning. Exactly. You know? I mean, put JC and JT with any other three random guys and they'll sound the same. Absolutely. That's so true. And it's weird because I don't, I mean, I could be wrong about this, but I feel like NSYNC, you know, they very obviously had like a clear front runner in, in Justin later. But like you said uh, earlier, it was JC until Justin was like, Mm-mm-mm. I'm a narcissist you have to let me be the front of the group uh but the Backstreet Boys didn't really have like a clear front like a a, a, who was the front guy of the Backstreet Boys there wasn't well I would I would say it's Brian Nick or AJ okay yeah that's you're right you're right it's never Kevin no You're right. It is. I guess I feel like I've seen Brian like in the lead in the front the most, maybe. Yeah, I mean Brian was my favorite, so I will say you know he has always been my favorite singer of the group. But AJ is right there with them. Do you have like a Backstreet Boys ranking, or does it depend on the day? I don't know. I guess probably. I guess I I would say Brian AJ. Howie, Kevin, or I don't know, Kevin, Howie, Nick. Nick's last for me. Really? Yeah, I've never liked his voice. And then he kind of sounds like, he sounds like he's grown a lot as a person, which we love. Mm -hmm. But he also has a very checkered past that I'm surprised (laughs) isn't brought up more. Yeah, I know. He's a monster. He's a fucking monster. But yeah, so that's why he's he's last for me. that's wild that's crazy because I feel like Nick was always like the you know his his, like whiny voice and his blonde hair and stuff I feel like he was a big draw 
Yeah, he just, he never did anything for me. But Brian Luttrell, the voice of an angel with those blue eyes, he had me when I was, oh, I almost said he had me when I was seven. I'm like, oh, that's so weird. <laughs> Seven-year-old me putting posters on my wall. <laughs> I mean, listen, we all like, basically like, we're in, we were like dating our posters and we all know that. Everybody was as yeah. a kid, we were like dating your posters. So I get it. I understand. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> like you went to bed every night and kissed your posters goodnight. Like they were like, you're like literally like bedmate. Exactly. I'm like, there are a hundred posters in my room. So good night, everybody. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I'm, I'm always, like I said earlier, I'm interested constantly in the tribes, you know, that like these bands and these pop artists were all, you know, they, they had these non-existent feuds that were being created by the label and then it would result in you know people forming these obsessive yeah tribes it's genius marketing but it's just yeah. dark and one thing lou perlman is obvious or was obviously a horrible horrible guy right but he made a point where he was like you can't have pepsi without coke so that's right. why he created in sync so backstreet boys had competition yeah, I mean, it's it's honestly, it's genius. Like, it's so, it's so smart because if you don't know any better, all you're going to want to do is pour all of the money that your parents, that you beg your parents for or that you, like, work your summer job or whatever into who you support. Like, it's, it's crazy that I, it took me, like, more than half my life to realize that I was bamboozled. Yeah, yeah, same. I never got it. no. Sometimes I still don't. Yeah, even now. I'm still, like, deep in the, the fucking trenches of the Britney and Christina feud. And we are <laughs> about 15 years beyond that. It's really actually pretty sad. <laughs> you, haven't, you haven't left that war yet. No, I'm so, mentally I'm still there. <laughs> um, well, you want to talk about the songs? Yeah, for sure. Okay, should we talk about the singles first? Yeah, we can do that. Okay, should we just should we just start with I Want It That Way because it's why everybody's listening at this point. If you're still here, that's what you were listening for. I know, thank you for hanging on so long. Yeah. yeah. Thank you for being a real, real true listener because I know that you, you either fast forwarded to the part where we talk about this or whatever. <laughs> um, now, from what I gather from other uh, Backstreet Boys stands, and I understand it, um, like Baby One More Time is like my least favorite Britney Spears song. Do you still like this song or do you, like, if you're listening to this album, is it one of the last ones you go to or is it one of the first? I would skip it. I would skip it at this point. Yeah, I get I get that. It lives too much in the zeitgeist now, right? Yeah, every, I don't know. I'm just like, okay, we all know this one. Let's go listen to Don't Want You Back or It's Gotta Be You. Oh, Don't Want You Back is my favorite song on the album. Same. <laughs> um so in talking about I Want It That Way we have to talk about now this is something that just recently became I think it was maybe a couple years ago or like a year ago um I think it was Kirsty Teigen that like reignited the what does this song even mean thing Mm -hmm. where she started tweeting the lyrics and being like this is fucked like what is this song about none of this makes any sense it's all gibberish and I've talked a little bit about it on the podcast before, but there was this thing happening at the time that I find really funny where 
Max Martin was brought here to, you know, kind of essentially just like help shape American pop music and starting with Britney and then throughout all of the other bands and stuff. And you had him writing music for everybody, but he's from Sweden. So he has all these, <laughs> these misguided interpretations of our slang. And he's like trying to write, you know, cool, hip teenage slang into the songs to appeal to the kids, but none of it made any sense. And I mean, to be quite honest, like he still does that, which I think is so mm-hmm. funny. Like all these years, he hasn't really learned the vernacular well enough to know like our slang or how to use our slang. So he just writes gibberish. I love it. And I have to say, we do not appreciate Max Martin enough. I don't think in pop culture, in music, in anything, Max Martin is still making hits. I agree with that. I don't think that he gets enough credit or he should be like, there should have at this point been some sort of vanguard millennium award or something at the VMAs or something, like a moment. Give Max Martin the credit he deserves. He is literally to thank for every great pop song. I mean, every, like, it's honestly overwhelming. This, Baby One More Time, Oops, I Did It Again, Teenage Dream. It's overwhelming how- 1989 by Taylor Swift. He wrote like most of those songs with her. Yeah. Like he is our music. And like people- Exactly. A lot of people still don't even know who he is. We'll we'll go talk about him another day. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So, like, you know, everything from him, like, writing Hit Me Baby One More Time and thinking that it means call me back to whatever yeah. the fuck he was talking about. And I want it that way. <laughs> and I wrote down this quote this woman named Maria Sherman, who wrote, she writes for Jezebel, but she wrote a book about the Backstreet Boys. Um, She said, it's just a high energy, youthful, jovial, kind of embarrassing, but free to embarrassment, but free of embarrassment pop song that is very definitively a boy band song. And she said, it's, it's not explicitly sexual, but there's a, there are love connotations in it. She said, you get the song's point, even if you can't explain it. But I think it's like the best way to describe it because nobody, even like the band members, like they can't really describe what it's supposed to mean, but like you get what it means when you're listening to it. Yeah, absolutely. They're all just like, we all got solos, so we're excited. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and like, I don't know, it's just interesting because everybody loves the song. And for a, a really long time, none of us ever really questioned it. But then it was after it became really iconic that people were like, well, what does it mean to want it that way? And what is that? Like, what do you, what is it? What kind of, what are you talking about? Yeah, and I I still kind of don't even question it. I'm like, we just have to enjoy it for what it is. I can't think too much about this song. Yeah, it's just, I mean, it is, it is one of the, I mean, it's, I don't have to say this, but it's one of the greatest, most enjoyable pop songs that I feel like I've ever heard. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I agree with you. There's nothing else to add. I just agree. It's just so, like, it's so catchy. It, like, you can't hear those first chords and not, like, want to sing it. I mean, like, come on. Yeah, it doesn't matter who you are. You know every single word to I Want It That Way. Yeah, 
and it's it lends itself to being drunk it lends itself to scream singing it with your friends in the car or like whatever like at a bar you know it's just very like let's all sing I want it that way even before it became like annoyingly you know iconic um even back in the day it was still very much that absolutely um, I did read that there was a, a, a second version of the song that they wrote after they realized it didn't make sense and um it was actually written it was co-written by Mutt Lang Shania's ex-husband and they like okay they like brought him in to fix the lyrics <laughs> <laughs> because they were <laughs> like <laughs> people are gonna wonder what the fuck that we're talking about and we don't know how to dis- how to explain it when we go out and promote the song um but they ended up just keeping the original one but like the rewritten version ended up like being released somehow in like certain parts of the world or something so there's certain parts of the world that heard the rewritten version on the radio that is supposed to make sense for America but it didn't even really play in America so I feel like I heard that a few years ago it got leaked somehow I can't remember it but I just remember thinking it wasn't as good no because it's the thing about Max Martin is that it's not really about (laughs) the words that he's saying it's more just like I read when I was reading about um him writing this song they were saying like that he uses words like numbers it's like math like it's like this word here plus this word there equals this moment where you you get excited to sing the chorus it could be any words it's more just like the feeling and like the melody like he it's just gibberish um I love that about him. <laughs> yeah, I know. Uh, we should also talk, of course, about Larger Than Life. Co-written by my man, Brian. A lot of people don't know that. Oh, I didn't even know that. Yeah, he, co- he co-wrote a few songs on this album. This song, to me, I wrote in my notes that this song, I don't know if this is right, but I, I, obviously this song is like a thank you to their fans, right? This is like a... Mm-hmm thank you for supporting us and stuff and like you know us having this very public court stuff going on like it was a big deal that they still had fans after all that they had gone through and if anything I feel like it made them more popular and more famous because girls like you were like they literally do need us to support them right like this guy has stolen all their money they have nothing like it's up to the court on whether or not they have like freedom Mm -hmm. so I feel like this is such a TRL song because, you know, it's like, it's for the fans. Like, it's a song that's literally written to say thank you to the kids that stand outside TRL, pretty much. And, like, the coolest music video at the time. Yeah, super expensive, crazy music video. I like Larger Than Life a lot. Um, I remember that's what they opened the Millennium Tour with. And they flew in on, like, hoverboards. And it was just, it was so cool (laughs) wait did you you went to the millennium tour I did yes whoa okay did they have an opener they did I want to say I want to say her name was Crystal and she's saying like I'm Supergirl and I'm here to save the world I think it was her cool oh my god that's that's really, that's amazing that you went to that tour, that you got to like witness that like moment in pop culture. Yeah, and I have honestly seen Backstreet Boys 13 times since, or 12 Holy other times shit. since then. 
Like when I tell you I love them, I wasn't lying. Oh my God. Holy fuck. Do you have like a- And I've gone with my mom every single time. I went to my mom with every Britney concert. I relate to that. Yeah, it just became our thing. So I've seen them perform at big stadiums in Boston to Fenway Park to like tiny casinos in Rhode Island. <laughs> wow. Do you have a favorite, like a like a performance of, or like a, a time of seeing them live that you know for sure is like the time that you love the most? I feel like the last time I saw them, which was just last summer, um, I saw them in Nashville and they still put on such a good show, which was really, it's really cool to see them, you know, when I'm like uh, in second grade and now at almost 30 and they're still entertainers. They're still dancing, still singing, all of that. Yeah. Damn, that's a lot of times. That's I know, I know. I was ready to drop that bomb. I'm like blown away by that. Yeah, um, most people are. <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing. Um, I'm like, what the fuck? I'm like, yep. I'm an obsessive. <laughs> <laughs> I have a problem. <laughs> My personal, personal favorite, I'm a sucker for a, a sad, like, dreary ballad. Ugh, I okay. live. Show Me the Meaning of Being Lonely is probably my favorite Backstreet Boys song. Okay. My coworker, I told her about this podcast and she said the same thing. It just, oh God, it's so, it is so good. And I, I wrote in my notes that like, I mean, obviously is, I just think as far as ballads go, like if you're going to like rate boy band ballads, like, I mean, it really doesn't get any better than that. And I feel like it encompasses all the things that it means to be like this song to me is what separates the Backstreet Boys from NSYNC because yeah. it's dark and moody and you know in the video they're all wearing leather jackets and walking through fog and like you know it's just so it's so Backstreet Boys whereas NSYNC was like orange puffy vests and cow print and cowboy hats and chaps and, <laughs> and sparks chaps. and let's turn it into dolls. You know, it was like, took the complete polar opposite. It's so moody and like sad. Yeah, they didn't need the show. I'll say totally. that. And one part of this video that all, when I was really young and still to this day, probably if I rewatched it right now, Brian is watching himself on the operating table because he had open heart surgery. Mm-hmm. So in the like music video, he's watching himself be operated on. And I remember mm-hmm. thinking that was so deep. I mean, that is pretty crazy. Like, I was reading about all of the shit that they had gone through that year about yeah. his, his surgery and, and family deaths and friends' deaths and deaths of parents. And I mean, just like all kinds of crazy shit. And yeah, I mean, it, it really gave like a whole new meaning. I, I just watched the video today for the first time, probably since I was a kid. And I was like, whoa, this is really <laughs> legitimately really sad. Yeah, yeah. For sure. I mean, and God knows what was happening at the Carter household during this time. Ugh, eek. <laughs> I know. That's why I try and, you know, I, I try. I mean, obviously, I think that Nick Carter should be held accountable for all of the terrible things that he's done, but he was so, I mean, his parents literally had them just to like make them work. Like they were like born, not with the intention of like being loved, but it was like, no, we need like, money like we just want stage kids yeah we want singers and dancers and like we don't care what anybody does to you (laughs) like 
we're willing to sell you as long as you make money. Exactly. It's crazy. Um, <clears throat> let's talk about the actual, those are the only singles, right? There's just this, oh no, there's um, a, the one. The, the one. one. Yeah, I like the one too. And that's co-written by Brian too. The one is really good. I forgot about that one. <laughs> it's actually one of my least favorite Backstreet Boy songs, I think. Really? Yeah, but then I hear it live and I love it. So I don't know if I just have to be like in the right mood to listen to the one. <laughs> right. No, I get it. <laughs> it's kind of like Baby One More Time. It's like, I want it that way. It's just songs that I've heard over yep. and over and over. Yes, I get that. Where if you get me on a good day, I'm like, damn, this is a good song. I get right. it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, very... I'm walking in the grocery store and it comes on. I'm like, okay, I like it. Yeah. Yeah. I get why the girls were standing when we were 12. I understand now. Yeah. <laughs> um, so we talked about Larger Than Life. We talked about I Want It That Way. We talked about Show Me the Meaning of Being Lonely. Um, it's Gotta Be You. I don't even, I don't know if I remember that one. That is one of my favorite songs. It's very short. It's very much just a fun, you want to kind of like jump up and down and AJ does his singing and it's a good oh. time. I love when AJ gets a, a moment to croon with his. He's like weirdly sexual in it. And... Yeah. <laughs> I, AJ sings like AJ sings the way that you sing karaoke when you're like really sad and like too drunk. <laughs> but he's so good. But he's so amazing. Like he sings the way that you sing when you're doing that. And then somebody has to come up on stage and put the mic down for you and, and hold you by your back and take you off the karaoke stage. That's AJ all the time. Just theatrics, drama, fists, looking up to the sky, asking God why. It's just so like, just drama. I love it. So his first, like there's a little opening and I think it's Nick who sings it. But then he goes, I can't control it anymore. I've never felt like this before. You really make me lose my head. My hungry heart must be fed. <laughs> so that's how it starts. <laughs> so, I, I'm obsessed. And he, AJ also always had the most, the most like Y2K clothes. Absolutely. He's the one who wanted to stand out. And that's why he got into drugs and all that. Yeah, and I feel like that was something I forgot to add to my notes, but I do think it should be, it, it's worth mentioning that, like, this is, I'm obsessed with Y2K pop culture, like, yep. things that were released for Y2K, and this whole era is very, like, it's just so, because, you know, in the in, during that time, it was like we were living, we were living, like, the future, we were like, well, you have, we have to dress futuristic, and we need futuristic music videos, and like um mm -hmm. cgi was becoming really popular and it was like we were living like what we thought the future would be like like metallics and like you know what i mean just like it's the future right like, yeah a lot of silver there were like a lot yeah. of silver vests yes <laughs> a lot of weird like music videos that are just a like a, a literal just like an abuse of technologies <laughs> an abuse of technology that's the perfect way to put it it's like we get it we get it yeah like you can use a computer like we get it you can turn somebody into <laughs> into liquid metal cool like you know <laughs> that's so funny 
<laughs> um, I need you tonight. The longest song on the album. Oh, and it's all Nick. Yeah, I cannot believe that you don't like Nick. I'm obsessed with that. I think that's amazing, actually. Yeah, this was a skip for me because, like, there's no even real chorus. It's just a Nick solo for like four minutes and twenty seconds. I don't have time for that. <laughs> I mean, unfortunately, I think that that's because Nick was Lou's favorite, and I'm not even trying to dark people out, but I, I, I've always read that Nick got a lot of very special treatment because the Carter boys were Lou's favorite bandmates. That's all I'm saying. <sighs> um, <laughs> this is a podcast where I crush people's childhoods. Like, I <laughs> I take their childhood, and I hold it in my palm, and I squeeze it really tight until it's gone. Um, Luckily, I know most of that stuff, so... <laughs> Just, I've, I've already been broken. I've already been broken. <laughs> okay, good. This is a podcast for, it's a, it's better suited for people that are already broken. So it's perfect. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, Don't Want You Back. I To me, the most, like, this was the song that I would be like, replay, replay one more time. I know it's annoying. Sorry, neighbors, one more time. Sorry, mom. I got to hit it once more. Like, fuck. So do you know like the little controversy controversy behind this song? No, tell me every detail. So on T on TRL, it was fan voted. Do you want do you uh don't want you back or the one and don't want you back was winning, but Nick Carter called MTV and said, make sure the one wins, and that's how the one became the fourth single. And it should have been Don't Want You Back. Stop. Mm-hmm why did he why was he was he does he sing more on the one i don't know probably <laughs> what the fuck yeah that was the other thing about trl is like i got older and found out that the countdown was mostly just bullshit every week and i was <laughs> like i'm not ready for that yet i'm not yeah, ready to be crushed that way yeah like excuse me like my old <laughs> ameridial phone bill would beg to differ um <laughs> um don't want to lose you i also really like this song i agree a lot a lot a lot a lot good pop song yes good 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 just poppity pop pop popcorn song Mm -hmm. um the one we talked about back to your heart uh i don't really remember this one either i mean it's just another nice slow pop ballad but uh it's like it's like what can i do to get back to and find the way back to your heart like oh just I'll tell you guys just keep singing it's fine wow this was also co-written by uh Brian Latrell and Kevin Richardson wow that's crazy so Brian was sort of like the like JC used to write a lot of NSYNC songs so he's sort of like but like got credit for them but nobody ever really talked about it yeah and I feel like I know the next album, Black and Blue, the boys write on it a lot more than previously. You think it's weird that I like that album more than this one? No, because that's my favorite album. Okay. It's so good. Like, um, Shape of Your Heart is my fa- is actually, when I'm not being sarcastic, it is actually my favorite Backstreet Boys song. Me too. Shape of My Heart and More Than That are my two. Oh yeah, More Than That is good. Um, maybe if we do a part two to this, I'll have to bring it back for the, for the second half. Gladly, anytime. <laughs> I'm never too busy. <laughs> um, 
second to last no one else comes close oh what about spanish eyes oh spanish eyes iconic howie's moment <laughs> howie's moment <laughs> I, oh, poor howie i know and he's aged very well howie's very cute i think howie's probably aged the best right i would agree with that he looks nowhere near like he looks not a day over like 25. I know. Like he has not, his skin is perfection. He's gorgeous. Yeah. And I feel like people now have warmed up to Howie. Cause when, I remember when I was young, it would be like, ew, you like Howie? You're fucking disgusting. Yeah. And now, it's like, now it's like, Howie's cute. <laughs> totally. He was very sort of like the Lance or like the Chris Kirkpatrick, like just like, you know, one of, the other boys <laughs> yeah it's like you have the main guys and then you have the other guys so did you know that he was actually supposed to be the lead singer of the band no i didn't know that yeah so it actually started with like howie and them kind of or it started with aj aj was the first but they were trying to build everybody around howie and then brian got brought on and they were like howie you're out <laughs> wow I don't so really he was supposed to be like a really he was supposed to be the front man. I don't feel like I can picture that band with him as the front man. I know. Again, they talk about it in the show What You're Made of documentary. I recommend it to everybody. But he kind of talks about it and he's like, you know, it hurt my feelings. And I'm like, poor Howie. Yeah, he's not like he's meant to be the really pretty boy back in the the back of the band, Yeah. You know? Yeah doing the steps <laughs> yeah he's a great dancer yeah he's a really good dancer loved his ponytail um <laughs> <laughs> no one else comes close i mean i feel like that's just like back to your heart you know yeah yeah agree kind of just it's another slow song by them it's sort of like that song to me is like kind of fillery yeah yeah i could see that a little tiny bit um and then the last one the perfect fan i when i heard that song i remember running to my mom and being like they wrote a song about moms and daughters <laughs> this one's for the like, girls i was like it's our time <laughs> <laughs> and that's still like i love that song just because i think of my mom <laughs> they wrote a song about moms and daughters Meanwhile, it's about like sons and their yeah. moms because they're like, you helped me grow into a man or whatever. And I'm like, it's about daughter. <laughs> He's singing for us girls. Yeah. And Nick's not on it. Nick's the only one not on it. Really? Yeah. So all the boys have like their little parts, but not Nick. Nick was probably like, I fucking hate my mom. <laughs> Yeah, literally. I'm not fucking singing about like an evil troll. Um, I used to think it was so, I remember when I was like pre-pubescent, I thought it was so, I, I read a lot of articles about Nick's voice changing because I remember that being a real big thing. Oh, like, okay. You know, when Nick hit puberty, they had to tinker <laughs> the harmonies. Because remember how whiny and shrill his voice was? Yeah, shrill, yes. <laughs> it was like glass shattering. 
<laughs> he like sounded just like Aaron and then he hit puberty and it was like different and I remember I remember him going on like a press thing about his voice and being like I like my new like huskier voice <laughs> like girl and it was still like middle part bowl cut Nick saying that too which is like hilarious to me oh yeah yeah that's funny and now Brian's voice is horrible I feel like so bad for him I know it's so sad and I remember I was at I was at the concert and as I was leaving these like I don't know I get very crazy all the time and these people were like Brian's voice is so bad and I was like that's fucking rude and my mom's like Kelly please don't fight people right now what the (laughs) fuck No, I get it. I would have done the same thing. So I saw Britney in Vegas and this was, she was still pretty new. She might've been there a few months, maybe a year. Oh God. And I was, I got so drunk for that concert. And while my sister-in-law and I were waiting for the car to be pulled up, the two women, they're just talking. They're like, she can't dance the way she used to. And I'm like, you know, she had double knee surgeries, right? And they were like, what? And I was like, she's not bad dancer. Can you dance better than her? And my sister-in-law is like, please just get in the car. (laughs) Please ladies back away. I'm like, I'll fight you guys. I don't care. (laughs) No, I'm, I, yeah, trust me. That speaks directly to my spirit. I totally get it. (laughs) Um, Is there any hope for his voice or is it no? I don't know if it's like just surgery, but I don't know if he's going to get surgery because he might not get his voice back. Because that was the whole thing. I feel bad when you watch him, you can tell it hurts. Oh, it's really sad. But that was the whole thing. He doesn't want to get it because they he could end up just not at all being able to sing. Right. And again, in the in the documentary I keep talking about, and I hope everybody watches there's a fight between Nick and Brian and Nick's basically like, are we going to talk about how your voice isn't good anymore? Mm. And again, another reason I don't like Nick Carter, he's coming for my man. (laughs) God, that's really But it's actually a really tough scene to watch because Nick's like, shut the fuck up. You're a bad singer now. That's so sad. And it's, it's even more sad because I've always thought he was like one of the, I mean, he is one of the best singers of the group, like technically, right? He always was. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's fucked. Yeah. It's a really tense scene. And I remember watching it for the first time. I was like, I don't know what to say about this. I actually feel like I kind of remember that, right? They in like a boardroom. Yeah. Yeah. I remember that. I remember that. I must have watched it. I think I I must have watched it to do like a Nick and Paris episode or something a million years ago. And you're um, probably like, there's the anger. Yeah, like there's that classic Carter boy anger. Ugh. Carter boy anger. <laughs> Fucking nightmare. Um, <laughs> no, I think I think that Nick Carter, like, I don't know if it's just that he's, this is why I always make the argument that like cancel culture is just simply not real because if it was people would be canceled that we know are terrible. Mm-hmm. It's like, it's more so that people are just canceled out of like convenience. If there are certain people that we don't cancel out of it just being too inconvenient. And I think Nick Carter is one of those people because 
we know that he's horrible. And when all of that stuff was happening very publicly with his brother, the fact that people sided with him and were like, oh, he's just like a doting, scared brother. And, you know, he has a restraining order against Aaron because Aaron's crazy. It's like Nick has been beating Aaron's ass his entire life. And you know what I mean? Like he's a monster and he, yeah, women, like he's just terrible. Yeah. And there's a part of me that likes to think maybe he's grown because he's no longer on drugs. He's married and all this stuff, but I don't know. I don't know if I'm, then I watch like the Paris Hilton documentary and I'm like, right. He beat the shit out of her allegedly. Totally. And then remember he like, I don't know if you remember this story, but he, the girl, that girl from dream, um, he, I mean, she came forward and said like, he raped me and the label told us to not talk about it because they didn't want to lose any money. And she basically gave up her career as a musician because Nick Carter raped her and she was told to not talk about it. Yeah, yeah, I do remember that. And it all came back out again with the Me Too movement and everyone was like, he wouldn't do that. And I'm like, what do you, what do you mean? Like, yeah, what are you talking about? That's like who he is. That's who he's always been publicly. He's just old now. Yeah, that's so crazy. In other words, fuck you, Nick Carter. He's an avid (laughs) listener to Dunzo. So Nick, turn it off. Fuck you. You're not welcome here. Um... <laughs> I knew you were bad when I was younger and I was right. I'm glad I followed my intuition. I knew you were bad when I was in love with you as a as a, a teen and I should have known then because I only like problematic <laughs> men. I only like trash. <laughs> yeah. I only like men that would ruin my credit, as I always say. Um That's so funny. Well, I guess do you have any closing thoughts about the Millennium album? I just think you're right. It was like a cultural reset. And when you think of pop albums, it should be right at the top of your list. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think, I know that Britney was big during this time, but I really feel like Millennium just kicked that like pop door down. Totally. And that did give us, you know, Britney, Christina, NSYNC, Mandy Moore, 98 Degrees, whoever else. I do think Backstreet Boys like pioneered that. Yeah, I agree with that because I think people forget that the Backstreet Boys, like, in the way that um, New Kids on the Block mimicked New Edition, like, the Backstreet Boys mimicked Boys to Men. So who they were trying to copy was before the pop explosion, you know? Mm -hmm. Like, they were there before. They weren't, like, does that make any sense? Yeah, yeah. So I agree with you. I definitely feel like they were... They were, they don't get a lot of credit. And, that, and I do feel really bad for them that then, you know, this album came out and all of a sudden, you know, they're supposed to be really excited about their success and how great they're doing. And now they have this like band that their manager has introduced as their rival and they couldn't, they were broke and couldn't even be excited about how successful their album was because now they have NSYNC to worry about. So, yeah, you know, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. No, 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 you're fine. And what I was going to say is like, they put in so many years of work in Europe. I mean, Kevin in the documentary, he's like, you know, we were talking to our family and we're like, we're huge in Germany. Like they put in so much work before they even got to the United States, which again is looked over. Yeah, that's so true. I forgot about their, their like Germany days. Yeah, they were huge in (laughs) 
in Europe. Yeah. Wow. Well, Which I is, know again, what I'm, something Lou did. I know for sure what I am listening to tonight while I clean my apartment. And it's Don't Want You Back 40 times in a row. <laughs> Can I tell you a really crazy Chris Kirkpatrick story that's one of my favorite celebrity encounters? If you don't, I'll hang up on you. <laughs> so he lives in Nashville and I've seen him around, but I went to an O-Town Aaron Carter concert like two years ago. It was actually so much fun. <laughs> Holy shit, and, okay. Yeah, and Chris was there and I saw him at the bar after. So I walked up to him and I was like, I hate to bother you. Can we take a picture? And he's like, yeah, yeah, sure. So he stands up next to me and he's like a little shorter than I am, but I hold my phone up to take the selfie. And he goes, I fucking hate my life. This might be the last picture anyone ever takes of me. You better sell it to TMZ or something. What? What? So we... So I took the picture and then I looked at him, I go, <laughs> I hope this isn't the last picture anyone ever takes of you. Oh and I walked God. away and my friend said, I look like I saw a ghost when I walked up to her and I see him around Nashville still. And I kind of want to be like, are you okay? <laughs> I don't know if you remember me as the girl you, t- you threatened uh, your own life to. Yeah, that was what, like, I've met a lot of celebrities, but that one is one I will never get over. Do you still have the picture? I do. That's iconic. (laughs) Well, I took it, like, right after he said it, and, like, and then I kind of looked at him, and I was like, well, I really hope that's not true. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) And I was like, bye. (laughs) (laughs) Like, can you get peace signs in the picture, please? (laughs) I just, I wanted to tell you that story. That's amazing. Wait, how was Aaron? How was Aaron live? Oh my God. So that concert was just before his like really bad Nick Carter put a restraining order on him mental breakdown. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So he came on and he had a DJ with him and he was only singing new songs. So we're all kind of like, okay, like we only want two songs that you're not going to sing yet. (laughs) Yeah. And he was singing some one of his new songs and someone was like, play Aaron's party. And he goes, cut the music. And we're all like, oh my God. Oh God, oh God. So he cuts the music and he goes, you buy my new album right away, I will sing Aaron's party. And he stared at this girl for like 30 seconds and he goes, you gonna buy it? And she shook her head no. He goes, didn't fucking think so. <gasps> and then he went back to singing and he has like a tattoo of a piano on his forearm and he kept fake playing it. Oh, and oh. then at he I think he closed with Aaron's party. And yeah, it was it, it was intense. I thought he was gonna fight all of us. It must be so fucking hard to be Aaron Carter. My God. I know. And I mean, I went into it with an open mind. I was like, let's see how he does. Oh, that's so sad. That's I sad. know. I I keep joining his like Instagram lives and it does make me sad. I do too. I always, he's one of those people that I just, you know, I I have the bug. Like I obsessively follow him. I don't know why, or I don't know. I just like, can't, I don't know. I just think he's such a sad, like cry for help. Right. No. And I think it's really sad when you get to a point of fame where he is, where it's like, you're only known as this laughing stock joke Svengully liar, 
um, has been drug little addict, brother. Yeah. little brother. You know, it's like there's nothing positive that goes with his name. And I just, I guess I just wish people would take him, I wish people would see him through the perspective of, as of a kid that was abused, that had no, you know, he never like knew traditional love. Like he wasn't raised in like a normal, even kids who grow, child stars who have normal family units and then they leave the family unit to go work. Aaron didn't even have that, you know, like he was just born to work and then he was sold to Lou Perlman as a toddler basically so it's like I don't know I wish that people would be more sympathetic to him I guess I agree I agree I know that I just kind of made fun of him yelling at me but no, no but that's different <laughs> no but I agree I mean it's almost it's almost like a Britney situation it's yeah. just people can see Britney's crying out for help and people look at Aaron and they're like, oh, he just wants attention. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He's just a liar. Did you watch Boy Band, Boy Band Con? Yeah, I did. I did. And he's he's talking during it and he's like, Lou never touched me. Lou never touched me. He would never do that. And I was mm-hmm. like, oh my God. I know. I know. I I know. I was like... I think I recorded an episode about it or I talked about it in one of the episodes and I was like, I really hope that when people watch that and they see his scenes, that it's like, ignore everything he's saying and just look at him as a product of Lou Pearlman. Like, Mm -hmm. ignore what he's saying because it's going to be gibberish. It's, It's going to not make any sense. And that was, you know, when he was like emaciated and people were asking, thought he had AIDS and all of that stuff. He was like gaunt and his face was all sunken in and I was like please just don't listen to anything he says and just look at him as the product of the music industry and Lou Taylor Perlman yeah Perlman Lou Lou Taylor is Britney's fucking manager oh god second I was like is Lou is that his real name (laughs) no sorry sorry guys Lou Perlman god I'm confusing my uh Swingoli manager Lou Perlman like pimped him out right I remember reading I think with like NT lawyer or something that Lou Perlman basically would just send Aaron out to like date people like Brooke Hogan or whoever Aaron was his um I'm there's like a name for it but I don't remember what the term is but it's like he was the the guy that Lou would send, yeah, send out to pull people in. So when Lou needed like new talent or new people to abuse or whatever, Aaron was like a the, the go-to person. So not only was he sent out to sleep with people to bring them into Lou's harem, but then he was also sent to like executives and and like label heads and, and producers and stuff as like oh. a like a it's like a uh, like a plaything like a piece of meat to be whatever like he literally was a like a product for Lou oh I hate that so much I know and if you think about it Aaron was the last when Aaron was with Lou it was after you know Backstreet Boys had left him and Sync had left him all of his bands were not famous anymore O-Town was done they were all gone so Aaron mm-hmm. was his only talent which is even more sad. Yeah. Yikes. Leaving it off on respect Aaron Carter. (laughs) (laughs) That's very on brand for this podcast. That felt very right to leave it on. Honestly, that was awesome. I agree. (laughs) 
<laughs> it was so good. Um, well, tell people where they can find your podcast and, and where you are on the internet. Yeah, on Instagram, it's Laguna underscore Biatch. On, I'm on like everywhere you can listen to podcasts. Just search Laguna Biatch, it'll come up. My Twitter's Laguna Biatch IG. And that is a real mess if you really want to follow all my inner thoughts. Oh, but it's if amazing. you don't, just Instagram podcasts. It's so good. Thank you so much for doing this. This was so much fun. This was a blast. Thank you. Amazing, you guys. Thank you for listening. I love you. Bye. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Dunzo. This podcast is a part of the Solid Listen Network. Please take a moment to rate, review, and subscribe if you haven't already. Also be sure to check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash solidlisten for exclusive content. You can follow me on Twitter at Troy McGee, and you can follow the podcast on all forms of social media at DunzoPod. That's D-U-N-Z-O. Thank you to executive producer Molly McAleer and coordinating producer Nicole Matthew. the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.